This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. Morena no mai kiti korero and welcome to the catch up on Manawatu People's Radio. Tereo irarangi onatangata o Manawatu. Uh, it is time to turn our attention to Manawatu District Council and find out what's going on uh, in their neck of the woods. And as usual, on the phone, we have Mayor of Manawatu, Helen Warboys. Good morning to you. Good morning, Fraser. Um, now, I, I'm trying to think if it's been a while since we caught up. I think it has because I was on annual leave as well. But um, there's a few things to get through here. Uh, one thing uh, that caught my eye uh, was, uh, I believe, uh, Councillor Hadfield is um, uh, later today, actually, going to be putting a motion to the council in response to the council's feelings around the three waters, um, I think you would probably use the word debacle, I'll just say issue, um, but perhaps you want to just maybe elaborate on what people can expect at this meeting. Uh, yeah, sure. The, uh, as people know, the, the government's proposed three waters reform has been hotly discussed around the country and uh, the government gave every council an eight-week period to have a look at the information what limited information they gave us, and the information kept changing almost on a daily basis. And uh, we chose to go out to our community and share what we knew with them. Our community resoundingly said, uh, we do not want to hand over our assets. We don't want to lose control. We don't want to cross-subsidise other councils, and we don't want to lose our local voice. And uh, so all of that information went back to government and... There's been a bit of a debate going on. Local Government New Zealand, uh, the organisation that represents all councils in New Zealand, we are all financial members. It's a significant amount of money that we pay to LGNZ every year uh, to speak on our behalf. Now, what concerns councils like ours who don't support the proposed reform in the format that it's been given to us, we were concerned that LGNZ were not actually representing our views with government because they signed a heads of agreement with government just before the local government, uh, local government conference back in July. And in that heads of agreement, which they did not seek approval from their members to sign, uh, in that heads of agreement, it says that they would not oppose the reform. Yeah, that, I mean that's that's a pretty big uh, omission or, or or failure to, to of judgment on their part. Given that, if memory serves, there's over sixty councils in New Zealand, but sixty of them are are pretty strongly opposed in one form or another to Three Waters reform. Absolutely, the, there's just too many concerns um, for councils. But so so the bit that for councils like us, we said, wait a minute. The local government New Zealand, you're supposed to represent all the views of councils. And if you've signed a heads of agreement, then you're not speaking on our behalf and our views are not being put on the table. So the uh, a couple, uh, Timaru actually pulled out 
their membership for Local Government New Zealand. <coughs> we wrote to uh, Local Government New Zealand and said we weren't happy. And a couple of other councils asked for a special AGM for Local Government New Zealand. Instead, Local Government New Zealand held a special Zoom meeting, which all the councils jumped on. Uh, there was a lot of apologies and explanations going around. Not a lot of time for all councils to speak. In fact, only about 25 councils got the opportunity to speak. We got an apology from LGNZ. Um, there was an acceptance that the communication around all this had not been good enough, uh, too little, too late. And uh, so basically we're saying, well, what are you going to do about it? Because Cabinet's meeting now. We don't know what the outcome's going to be. And local government New Zealand, um, we talked about should we make them redo the heads of agreement. We decided that we need to look unified when we're talking to government as local councils. So we're saying to LGNZ, we're watching. We want you to come back and tell us what is your view. Are you going to represent the views of all councils? So, I mean, I I, I looked at this uh, motion that, that uh, Councillor Hatfield was going to put forward and the, the, the article that I read certainly indicated that this was a, a protest motion and was, was likely not going to get uh, enough support to progress. But it sounds like, and I'm sorry if I've misinterpreted it, but it sounds like this is something that you think requires some serious discussion and we could end up seeing uh, Manawatu District Council pulling out of uh, local government New Zealand. Well, like I said, to date we've written a letter to LGNZ saying that at the moment we're not looking to pull out as a member. But I think what Councillor Hatfield's trying to do is to formalise our concerns and have it put on record that Manawatu District Council is not impressed with how local government New Zealand have represented the views of all councils when dealing with government with this. And the other reason for putting it on the table is it's not just this reform. Remember, we've got the um, RMA reform going on. We've got the review of the future of local government going on. And we're saying if this is how LGNZ operate, we're not happy. So... uh, some of us, and I'm included in this, I'm prepared, you know, I think we've given LGNZ a serve. Uh, they know that they need to step up. They've apologised. Um, so I'm prepared to say, OK, let's see where you're going to go now. Um, and <clears throat> who knows whether this motion will get passed or not. But, you know, it was really to put on record for the community to see that we are not happy with the way our organisation that represents us has performed. Is this par for the course for LGNZ or is this somewhat out of character for them to make uh, such a a bold misjudgment or a bold decision without consultation? Well, the explanation to us is that the heads of agreement was asked to be signed by, the government asked them to sign it the night before the local government conference and LGN said believe that if they had not have signed that, we would not have got the eight-week period leeway that we got to talk about the reform. Uh, that government would have just turned up at the conference, mandated it and said this is happening. So they're saying they did it to buy us some time. Well, we're saying buying us some time was great, but why did you sign the clause that says that you will not oppose this reform? Uh, so, which is which is what the majority of councils are now saying, based on what we know, we don't support it. So, 
So, you know, um, we're saying an email could have been sent out round all the councils overnight, said need an urgent response, and it could have been discussed at the local government conference. It was really pushed under the rug at the conference, and people are going, what? What heads of agreement? We hadn't even seen it. Now, for the the average, uh, and, and this is a sort of a, a poor stereotype to make, but for the average ratepayer in Manawatu District Council, uh, if MDC were to pull out of local government New Zealand, you, you referenced earlier, it's a substantial amount of money to be a member of LGNZ. Uh, could ratepayers expect a reduction in their rates as a result? And that and and and. Also, what sort of services or support would you lose? What, what, what do LGNZ normally provide that ratepayers might feel the absence of? Oh, LGNZ do a significant amount of work on behalf of councils. Uh, yes, they are our conduit into government and speak, speak on our behalf, but they provide professional development uh, courses. They provide webinars on whatever the topics, current topics are. They provide legal advice to councils. Uh, we use them regularly for different topics. Uh, they may um, speak on behalf of councils, for example. Um, I'm thinking about things like roading, forestry, you know, common issues that, uh, and that councils across the country have. So they do do a significant amount of work and you know, it could well be premature for councils to basically spit the dummy and say, we're out of here. For us, it's a $48,000 per year commitment. It's based on population. So, you know, it's, you know, um, it's not, it's not even a one, it's not even a half a percent of rates. So, um, it is a small amount of money, but $48,000 could do a lot of local, local good as well. But we need to think of the big picture. What else LGNZ does? And it's also about showing a unified face the central government. Do you think Timaru jumped the gun then? <clears throat> I think they did. Um, my understanding is that Christchurch has also got a motion on the table by a couple of councillors to do the same. My personal view is, uh, yes, we've had our say to LGNZ. They know that the majority of us are not happy. Um, we're now waiting for this them to come back and say, okay, so what is the approach now? And the question that we've asked is, are you now going to be speaking on behalf of councils who have the same view as we do? So we're waiting for that answer. And uh, depending what that answer is, we'll decide what next. We are here with Mayor Helen Warboys from Manawatu District Council on the catch-up. If you want to listen to this or previous editions of our catch-up series, uh, you can head to the website, npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Remember, it's a new look catch-up series uh, with some new additions. Uh, keep listening for future episodes uh, to find out who they are. Um, Helen, I am briefly mentioned rates there. There is something you want do want to talk to to rates, and that's a rates reset. Tell us what a rates reset is uh-huh. a rates reset this is a process that you have to go through um, after setting the rates which we do at the end by the 30th of June every year we need to set the rates for the next coming financial year and they need to be audited by Audit New Zealand um, and then we put a formal motion and set the rates however what happened this year is after we set the rates after the Audit New Zealand audit the a formula that was put into the um, financial program was incorrect and so what it spat out meant that there was incorrect amounts 
put out to people in their first rating invoices. We understand that we're not the only council to have made this error. There's about uh, we're one of ten, I understand, around the council, the, the country that have done this. Um, so we had to follow a legal process. Having uh, noticed the error, we wanted to immediate. We had a couple of options. We could have said, "Oh well, you know, let it go, and we'll have a look at it next year." But no, we wanted to be upfront that the error had been made, and that the instalment to your invoice for the second lot of rates will show a credit to get that reset back in place. To to so, I mean, what to what scale has the error? I mean, is it just a couple of percent, or, or even less than that, or are we looking at substantial credits for some people? Oh no, it's it's very minor. It's not even a percent. Um, it's less percent. Um, what happened was the it's, it's around. We give remissions on rates to uh, charitable organisations, churches, etc. Uh, so that amount of money was was. Um, should have been taken out of the equation and it actually ended up being in there. So I, th- I think in total it's about 1.2 million uh, off the top of my head. And so when you spread that across 14,000 ratepayers, it is a very small amount of money, but it is an error and we needed to correct it. Very accountable of you. Um, let's look at, uh, well, I guess in terms of ac- accountability as well, the representative review uh, feedback is in. This has been a large uh, body of work, somewhat not unexpected, but came out of left field once the mal rewards had been uh, adopted. How are things going there? Uh, pretty well. It is something that we're required to do every six years, but you're right, because our council made the decision to have a Maori ward at the election next year, it triggered the representative review, so we were required to go to the community and ask them uh, what sort of representation they wanted. Uh, the majority of the, of the feedbacks that we had, we had 34 submissions, so not a lot. Um, but the majority of those were in support of retaining our rural and urban wards, uh, retaining the same number of councillors plus our new uh, Māori ward rep and uh, not setting up community wards. So it, was, it, it will be pretty much business as usual with our additional Māori ward represent, representatives. So, I mean, people are settling down then to the idea of rural and urban wards because I remember talking to you a few years ago and it used to be the northern ward and the southern ward because the needs of those communities could be very clearly identified as being substantially different. But are are people finding that they're getting their representation, their local representation with a simple rural ward? Well, unfortunately, it's not as simple as that. We are we are bound by legislation and how it works. They have mesh population blocks, and you have blocks of 3,000 people. So if you want to put a boundary around uh, a particular ward or a community of interest, they have to be in blocks of 3,000 of 3, people. So for us, we, you're right, we used to have the northern and southern ward, but, but over that period of time, the population moved. And uh, for us to, the population from the north moved south. So for us to still have a northern ward, we needed to shift some of the southern ward, um, the boundaries up and ended up going through the centre, round fielding and up through Cheltenham. And, you know, we had places like Cheltenham who would have ended up being in the southern ward and, of course, Naturally, they're not. 
uh, they are very much part of the northern ward. So we had to make the decision then uh, to stick with rural as one rural ward and one urban ward. And so the rules still apply. They haven't changed. Uh, we can't make the mesh blocks work. You can't divide a village in half and say half of you are north and half of you are south. It doesn't work like that. So there is, there's a lot of rules around what we have to do. But we do acknowledge that we have communities of interest which are rural and urban. The bigger discussion was around, so where do you get your councillors from? You know, is it, do you get so many from rural and so many from urban? Or the other option is you can have uh, councillors elected at large, which means, you know, they can come from anywhere and people would be able to vote for them regardless of where you live. So that was an option we put forward. A couple of the feedbacks we had said yes, they would like at least a couple of councillors at large, um, but we felt that, uh, and the community has supported what we've said, is that that would be too confusing to, be, to have to vote for so many in your urban or rural ward and then a couple of councillors at large. So um, it hasn't gone through, the final um, a motion hasn't gone through councillors yet, but it's looking very much like it'll be business as usual. Well, it will and and it won't, um, because the uh, as people may or may not be aware, councils are allocated a fund to pay councillors, uh, regardless of whether you have eight or sixteen. You have the same pool of money to pay councillors, uh, and as you've said, the, the community have voted for retaining the same number of councillors with one additional Maori ward councillor. So I assume everyone's going to be getting a pay cut. Oh, that's, we've been told by the remuneration authority who set uh, councillors' uh, salaries that there is no more money to be allocated for a Māori ward representative. So the bucket of money would stay the same and you simply need to split that bucket of money amongst how, how many councillors you have. So you, you have a base salary. They tell us what the base salary for a councillor must be. Uh, so you allocate that across, in our case, it'll be 11 and whatever money's left, then it's up to us to allocate that. And we usually do that by, if, if councillors are a chair of our standing committee, and we get an additional allowance for being the, the chair for those committees. So, yes, you're right. And, you know, the reverse would have happened too. If we'd had less councillors, there would have been the same money in the bucket, so everybody would have got a bit more. And we are here with Mayor Helen Warboys for the catch-up. We've been talking rates, representative uh, reviews, and of course three waters, which is the hot topic at the moment. Uh, but there are other things going on as well, Helen, in that sort of uh, business-as-usual uh, framework. Uh, an environmental stock take is uh, undertaken. Uh, yes, this is all part of uh, coming up with an environmental strategy for council and uh, our team have done quite a bit of work in this space and they came back to us uh, with a stock take and this was looking at what council's currently doing and the the areas and actions that they believe we need to take and council agreed that we need to show some leadership in this space so we have approved the environmental stock take we've also approved the actions to complete a greenhouse gas emissions profile and that's for all of NDC's uh, current operations. And then once we have that, we'll come up with an action plan, monitoring and how we're going to report and, and what are the targets that we're going to set to, uh, to lessen the waste diversion to landfill 
and uh, you know, and come up with an environmental climate change strategy and action plan. And I know it sounds, you know, fluffy and and etc. But you know, council has to show that we are taking this seriously. And so we felt the first place to do this was to have a look at what does council do day by day. What can we do to reduce? the amount of waste and gas emissions. So we'll have a look at ourselves ourselves, see what we need to do to improve, and then the next step will be how do we do that as a community. It's going to be a tough one. I mean, you look at greenhouse gas emissions and, and the vehicles, the fleet of vehicles that MDC has to use. I mean, it's all well and good to say, well, Palmerston North City Council are making some inroads in this, but Palmerston North is quite a small area and, and electric alternatives to vehicles are fairly easy to implement. But your, your row is pretty big. Um, it's going to be more challenging for you to come up with these uh, solutions. You know, the, the, the electric double cab ute does doesn't exist yet. Uh, well, that's right. And also, you know, as you say, our district is spread out. Uh, so some of our team animal control enforcement officers, etc., you know, they go, they drive long distances. So when I'm not sure that we have the appropriate vehicles yet that uh, will do that. We have purchased one uh, e-car. So and the other, the other challenge for us in the district is that we don't have the charging stations set up in public spaces. At the moment, the only one we've got is at the New World supermarket. So we've got a long way to go in that space. Um, but, you know, I'm sure there's plenty plenty of other areas that council works on, as well as working towards... Uh, when, when we need to replace our vehicles, it's about what can we do to improve that space. But there will be other things that we can do. And uh, it, it may not be so wise to be investing in e-vehicles at the moment with the wind turbines catching fire. <laughs> well, of course, you know, there's, there's the um, hydrogen option is being investigated and I think, you know, I've done a little bit of reading, don't know a lot about the topic, but to me maybe that's the way for the future is hydrogen fueled vehicles. So, you know, it may make sense to just wait and watch the science that's going with this. Uh, you wanted, Helen, to acknowledge some of the representative grant recipients. We had a special ceremony here at Council and it was very special given COVID lockdown and all the dramas associated with COVID. Uh, but we decided to carry on anyway. Uh, the, the key one was our community honours ceremony where the community nominated people who've done outstanding voluntary service in the community. And we had a number of applications and that night we were able to present five awards uh, Alan Horsfield is down in the Bay Nessi Rangiotu area and the work he's done down there, particularly around the Marae. Uh, Anne and Robert Campbell here in Fearing have done a lot of work across the board in the community, but particularly for uh, disabled adults, uh, setting up homes and care for, for those those people. Kevin Dara has done an amazing amount of work, both as a businessman, but also as the chair of Manchester House Social Services now retired, and Michael Burke, uh, he is an environmental person himself and he's got this amazing wetland up in Rangawahia. So it was absolutely great to bring those people and their families together and recognise that. You mentioned the representative grant on the same night. Uh, we, we give out a grant for people who are going to represent Manawatu or New Zealand uh, in any of their chosen fields whether it's arts, sports or culture. 
And so every year we go through the list and have a look at are there anybody there who received a grant that uh, achieved outstandingly well in the top three placings. And uh, so we had eight of those this year and so we invited them along and it was a chance for us publicly to recognise the efforts that they put in and some of them are teams like the Fielding Swim Team, they might be individuals, might be dancing, bagpipes, um, the sport is, is, a, is a big one there but it, it is across the field so it was a great night of celebration and uh, and as we speak tonight we've got a another ceremony, the New Zealand Citizenship Ceremony where we'll have 18 residents who are looking to become New Zealand citizens Marvellous, I mean with regards to the representative grants I can assume that it's been a challenging year or so with COVID and restrictions and travel problems uh, notwithstanding the Olympics did manage to go ahead but it's been a tough one but obviously there was enough happening where we could still see the effect of Manawatu residents and training and skills and sports being recognised. Oh, absolutely. I think we had nine, we gave out 19 grants in the last financial year. So eight of those uh, people achieved in the top three placings uh, in their chosen field. So that's amazing. And and the reason that you know, we give them a small grant, it might only be $500 to help with airfares or transport or accommodation, but they're going representing the Manawatu district and our region. So they are ambassadors for our community. They're outstanding people. We just wanted to recognise that. Marvellous. Uh, Mayor Helen Warboys from Manawatu District Council, thank you for joining us on the catch-up this morning. We will talk to you again in a fortnight's time. You're welcome. Thank you. There we go, Mayor Helen Warboys from Manawatu District Council wrapping up the catch-up for today. We will be back tomorrow with another edition with Tangi Utakeri, MP for Palmerston North. Make sure you join us for that. And of course, back on Monday at 8.30 with Wendy Carr from Fielding and District Promotions. Join us for all of that. Please do. Bye for now. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.